episode of a brand new series called Enhanced Interrogation, Students Talk Security. My name is Mackenzie Nolan and I'm a student here at Notre Dame and a member of the certificate program, International Security Studies. Today we are fortunate to have Mr. Jae Woong Lee, who is a diplomat of the Republic of Korea and a visiting fellow at the Liu Institute for Asia and Asian Studies. During his diplomatic career, Jay worked primarily in multilateral cooperation, focusing on climate change, international economic cooperation, regional integration, and sustainable development. After his year here at the Institute, he will return to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs to serve as a career diplomat. Given Jay's diplomatic experience, I want to talk today about the North Korean nuclear crisis, and in part, how we got to this point. Specifically, I want to start briefly by talking about the six-party talks, as I know, Jay, you are part of the dialogue, and it would be a great way to help frame the way we think about the solution for the current crisis. Um, Briefly, the six-party talks began in 2003 between China, Japan, North Korea, Russia, South Korea, and the United States, and they are aimed at disarming North Korea. They seem to have a breakthrough in 2005, Um, where the negotiations seemed effective, but however, they ultimately failed in deterring North Korea's nuclear ambitions. Um, Jay, do you mind talking about how the the negotiations fell apart and um, what kind of role you played in those negotiations? Uh, Of course not. Um, Yes, the last talk of the six-party talk was held in November 2008. Uh, In addition to the agreement that you mentioned in 2005, uh, six party talks countries made some agreements, two more agreements during their negotiations in 2007, which were the agreement on February 13th and agreement on October the 3rd. Those, are the, those were the first part of the measures to implement in the process of the nuclearizations. First of which agreement of February is about the disablement of North Korean nuclear facilities, meaning to uh, disable the ability of North Korea to uh, make any kind of progress in the process of making their nuclear weapons. And the second part of the agreement is uh, about the declaration, meaning North Korea report their capability in the in their uh, North Korean nucle- uh, nuclear programs, because those will be the um, uh, basis for the further inspection and the verification about the North Korea's capabilities. However, after North Korea submitted their declaration in the latter part of 2008, the United States and other countries wanted to have a verification protocol, which would uh, set the guidelines and principles to make sure that North Korea's declaration and report were actually um, true to the facts in the North Korea during the, their past uh, progress since the 1990s. However, North Korea wouldn't want to reveal their whole facilities and their whole programs to the outside world, and instead they wanted the outsiders to look at the already rebuilt facilities like the nuclear reactors in Yongbyon areas and reprocessing facilities connected to that reactor. And 
the United States and other countries, including South Korea, pushed, the, pushed ahead North Korea uh, to um, implement the agreement that six party talks members uh, reached, but North Korea just declined to move ahead, and that eventually made the six party talks process fall apart. It is suspended. Still, member countries of six party talks are working very, very hard to resume the process for the ultimate denuclearizations. But after 2008, sadly, there have been no progress at all. Do you think that there is the possibility for progress or to um, re-carry on with these talks? Or uh, As of night, I'm rather pessimistic that we can resume any kind of talks, but uh, if and when countries agree on to have any kind of dialogue with North Korea on their nuclear and missile issues at this current point, those six parties uh, should be always involved because those are the most relevant countries in the region on that specific issue. Um, and how do these negotiations shape the way in which we should think about the, the current crisis? Um, with the case, the example of the 1994 agreed framework, this instance of six-party talks has made people think that the dialogue with North Korea is just impossible because two attempts have all failed without any kind of um, desirable outcomes with North Korea continuing their programs into building their nuclear weapons and also advancing their missile capabilities that can even now reach to the main uh, continent of the United States. So you brought up um, the key players involved in this situation. What do you think China's role is in helping denuclearize um, North Korea or stabilize North Korea? China should play a vital role in moving ahead of the nuclear programs of North Korea because people usually call that the relationship between China and North Korea as lip and tooth relationship. There is an oriental saying that if we lose lips, uh, tooth will feel the cold without the buffers. <laughs> However, and it is quite true that North Korea is, is depending on their survival, survival to Chinese supply of their oils. But uh, it is also true that North Korea believe that uh, the, their nuclear program is the issue solely between the United States and North Korea. They always argue that the issue is bilateral issue. And China buys that argument of North Korea, and that is why they want to on the back side seat instead of just moving ahead with their leading role. And why do they think that it just should be a bilateral agreement? And, and I think mainly they are buying the argument of North Korea, saying that the, the only reason North Korea started to building their nuclear programs is because of the hostile policy of the United States against North Korea. And they, I believe they don't want to be uh, deeply involved in these difficult questions when they have their own interests and their own domestic uh, 
issues on the table. And going back to the 1994 agreed framework, um, this was another example of diplomatic engagement. Do you think that um, from the failure of the six-party talks and from the failure of this agreement that we have to come up with a different way to move forward? Um, yes. On the two occasions, uh, people have come to the conclusions that the dialogues have held on both cases, and meaning that we should not give any more chances to North Korea. But still, uh, experts and policymakers and opinion readers are different in their opinion about the uh, possible uh, way to move ahead to resolve the current challenging issue of the security in the international community. And for that uh, solutions, I think uh, people have different opinions. One of which is that um, engagement and dialogue will not be a best way for solutions and only pressure and sanctions might be able to uh, make North Korea give up their ambitions to, to continue to develop their nuclear weapons. Whereas there are other uh, group of experts who are still arguing that even though we are in a very dire situation, there is only hope when we start our dialogue with North Korea, at least in order to know the true intention and the main goal of their continuing, continuing efforts to develop the nuclear weapons. And there's another groups. And at the current situation with uh, the continuing provocation of North Korea, I believe that on the part of pressure and sanctions uh, have more larger voices at the current stage. So two questions follow from that. Mm -hmm. One, do you think that the current economic sanctions um, will be able to remedy the situation? Or um, do you think that North Korea might never roll back their program given their capacity now and their capabilities? Um, I want to make one thing very clear. Uh, people who are uh, advocating uh, the dialogue don't say that we don't need any sanctions at all. We need sanctions at the current stage. We need some pressure for, to North Korea uh, for one, to punish their wrongdoings and provocations and for another uh, as a way to prevent them from getting any more resources to further develop their nuclear weapons and missiles by cutting their import of the critical materials and resources as well as the fuels for missiles and those things, we may be able to at least stop their further uh, progress and future developments. That's one thing. And secondly, about the effectiveness of the sanctions against North Korea to make them change their minds into the so-called strategic choice to abandon nuclear programs. Uh, at the first sanction against North Korea started in 2006 after they first uh, attempted for the medium-term, uh, medium-range uh, missiles. And it's been already 11 years and sanctions have got 
strengthened with every provocation, but as of now, we have not seen any uh, signs that North Korea might uh, give up their nuclear weapons and missile developments. And I don't see in the uh, near future uh, that they would change their mind to abandon their nuclear weapons at the current stage. People, uh, experts who are for the tougher sanctions are arguing that uh, the effect, effects of sanction will take time and intend we have to uh, continuously put pressure on them to, with more sanctions in, uh, in 10 years and maybe in two, 20 years. But I'm really not sure whether we can bear this dire situation for the next 10 years and 20 years. And worse, North Korea have gone through the same or similar dire situations in 1990s when they have drought and famine uh, costing the lives of innocent North Korean people about 10% of the whole population. So their uh, level of resilience is really high, unimaginably high to outsiders. So I'm really not sure whether the sanction only would make any kind of a change of their choices at the current stage. And going off of that, do you think that given the current situation, the escalation of missile attacks and just the intense rhetoric that surrounds yeah. the situation, um, do you foresee military conflict, um, whether this could be from miscalculation or um, a different combination of events that would lead to military conflict? Yes, there is always possible that people engaged in the policy making will have some misperception or miscalculation on the situation, which will be really scary and serious. But uh, even though North Korea is very reckless and provocative, the sole and the most important goal of a dictator Kim is the survival of his, his regime, meaning that they also know that if they attempt any kind of military attack against South Korea, Japan, and even the United States, will mean the annihilation of his regime, comparing the huge difference of the military capabilities of the United States and its allies and small country of North Korea. And it is quite unlikely, unlikely that China uh, will try to uh, support North Korea when the real military conflicts happen in the Korean Peninsula meaning that with huge capability of deterrence and containment of the United States and the allies in the region, I don't think there is any uh, possibility or the likeliness of uh, falling into the military conflict in the near future. But we cannot be sure about the situation, so we have to always make sure that we keep our security and safety as our highest, highest priority. How do you think the rule of Kim Jong-un has altered the situation compared to the past regime? 
Yes, he is the third generation dictator of the Kim family, starting with his grandfather. The biggest difference between his grandfather and Kim Jong-un is that Kim Il-sung, his grandfather, achieved his legitimacy based upon his uh, legacy of fighting against uh, Japanese imperialism during the time of colonization and World War II. And his son, the father Kim Jong-il, also got his legitimacy following his, the grandfather's history of fight against Japanese imperialism. Whereas the third generation Kim Jong-un doesn't have that kind of experience fighting together with the comrades in, in socialist terms, with comrades during the imperialism. So he might, this is my suspicion, mm -hmm. but he might feel a little vulnerable in terms of his uh, stability as the leader of the North Korea when there are still many who remember the time of uh, the suffering under Japanese colonization and the real fight that they uh, operated in line with China, meaning that he might feel very, very weak and prone to the attempt of the coup inside the regime. And maybe that is why he wants to look really, really tough to outside a threat in the name of the United States and try hard to heighten the tension or the fear inside North Korea by um, making the United States as the main, main and hostile threat to the survival, survival of North Korea. And I think that is why he's um, increased the speed of his development of nuclear weapons and the missile programs. So do you think that's a leading motivation behind the missile test? Do you think that there are other motivations for why there's this escalation of um, showing his strength? Yeah, I think it, the motivation is two sides, one for the domestic regions and one for the uh, international regions, domestic one of which is, as I said, to uh, uh, raise the le legitimacy of his leadership inside North Korea to calm down any kind of opposing opinions or ideas from inside his uh, uh, regime of many old, older leaders who were working together with his father and even grandfathers. And the other uh, motivation is to counter the any possible, even though I'm, I suspect, any possible attempt from outside to uh, affect the survival of North Korean regime by uh, bringing in the information and by trying to uh, make the regime unstable with the inf new information which are secluded to the North Korean people and which uh, and by putting more sanctions to suffer from the lack of the economic development and so on and so forth.
And shifting gears a little bit, but mm. um, what is the perception of the crisis, um, either in the government's eyes or the citizens' eyes of South Korea? Yes. Um, whenever North Korea provoked with their missile test or nuclear test, the first picture major newspapers of the United States showed was the one of South Korean TV monitor broadcasting the breaking news of North Korean attempt with, with South Koreans passing by very indifferently of that crisis news, showing the calmness or rather um, indifference to the situation of crisis, bringing about the curiosity of the United States why South Koreans can be so calm about those dire situations? And I believe there are several reasons, but one of which is that we are quite accustomed to those situations. So that depiction is accurate, the calmness? The calmness is okay. more or less accurate mm -hmm. because we have been under threat immediately after the war, Korean War in 1953. Even though it is relatively new that North Korea attempted to develop their nuclear weapons, we are under constant threat by North Korea with conventional weapons. There are thousands of shells of artillery of North Korea targeting, targeting the capital of South Korea, which is very near to the DMG, the borderline between North and South Korea, meaning that as soon as North Korea attempts to attack South Korea, they, there will be hundreds and thousands of casualties. Not to mention if they really attempt with their nuclear weapons. So we have been under that threat for more than 60 years, and we are quite accustomed to the situation. And sadly, I believe that that kind of um, situation, wrong situation, gave us some kind of sense that it would be just another provocation with no real military attacks. That's why people seem to ostensibly be that calm and quiet against the heightened threat and provocations these days. But that doesn't mean that we are not concerned at all. The level of concern or fear on, about the possibility of the real military confrontation will happen is getting higher. And that is why these days uh, South Koreans are more against any kind of good relationship with North Korea. The recent opinion poll showed that uh, more than 60% of South Koreans in favor of reinstalling of tactical nuclear weapons in South Korea, which is not a good news for me or for us. And more than 60% of South Koreans, again, uh, are opposing to any kind of aid to North Korea, including the humanitarian aid. I believe that show, and the opinion is getting worse day by day. And I believe that is a sign that South Koreans are getting more nervous, more concerned about North Korea's provocations. 
But I want to make it clear that very recently, the president of South Korea uh, has made it very clear that at the current stage, uh, we are not in a position to ask the United States to uh, re-employ the tactical nuclear weapons inside South Korea because we are very, very committed to the, uh, the total denuclearization of Korean Peninsula, not just North Korea, but also South Korea. Do you see it a possibility in the future, however, for North Korea or South Korea to want to um, have nuclear capabilities? Um, there are some in South Korea, especially those hawkish experts arguing that to uh, balance against the North Korean nuclear programs, we should also uh, develop our nuclear capabilities and physically develop our own nuclear weapons. But I don't think, I really don't think that that is the right way of our policy direction in terms of the security. Still, we are under the nuclear umbrella in the name of extended deterrence by the United States. And our alliance relationship with the United States uh, is really strong. The strongest ever in the history of the alliance of past 60 years. And it seems to me that the U.S. is really committed to protect the allies in the region, Japan and South Korea. Therefore, I don't think, I really don't think that we need to um, have our own nuclear weapons. And given your um, diplomatic expertise, what do you think is the most plausible outcome for this nuclear crisis, either um, for the United States and their allies, or the region in general, is deterrence a possibility? Because um, we have seen that uh, diplomatic engagements and negotiations have not worked in the past. So. I believe that the most desirable outcome on the current issue should be the total denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. It will take time. It might be 10 years or longer than 10 years. But that doesn't mean that we should give up at the, our goal of denuclearization and try to find any kind of medium term or, or viable solutions of recognizing the North Koreans' nuclear capabilities and trying to uh, seek at the, any kind of situation or adopt any kind of situation that North Korea having its nuclear weapons and trying to build uh, the bilateral relations with North Korea. That should not be a case in this situation. Still, I believe that ultimate goal should be the total denuclearization. And in the meantime, we should make sure that our uh, capability of deterrence and containment should be maintained and should be made uh, stronger with the heightened provocation of North Korean nuclear uh, weapons. Given that, and having said that, I believe that the only way to move ahead is to start the dialogue with North Korea. At current stage, I know that it's really difficult. And 
it seems that the current government of the United States, and Japan, and South Korea are either reluctant or against uh, on starting dialogue. But that doesn't mean that we have to close our door to the path of the negotiation with North Korea in the future. There will be some momentum and there will be a window of opportunity in the, I hope, near future uh, that a dialogue would be possible. And I would like to quote one very famous um, statement by the former U.S. President Kennedy that let us never negotiate out of fear, but let us never fear to negotiate, meaning that we have to be brave enough, courageous enough to negotiate with enemy. Again, one more quote by the former Secretary of State James Baker. He said that you negotiate peace with your enemies, not with your friends. At the current stage, North Korea is clearly our enemy. But if we want to build peace in the region, in Korean Peninsula, and in the international community as a whole, we should not hesitate to uh, grab the opportunity for negotiation, even if it is the, the most provocative region like North Korea. Do you think that these negotiations would mirror the six-party talks or would have different members? Um, How would they is, be successful not, this time? It is not quite certain or not, I'm not really sure uh, about the form of the negotiation and, and the participants of that negotiation. Uh, but I do believe that uh, given uh, the um, stakes of the countries rel related to North Korea, I think uh, those uh, six parties, including South North Korea, the United States, Japan, Russia, and China should be the main participants of the negotiations. But there might be some other uh, countries or parties who would eager to contribute to the negotiations, like the European Union or in a wider area, wider region of uh, Asia and Pacific, Australia and maybe India might be interested in the situation. But we have to bear in mind the saying that uh, too many cooks spoil the soup. Sometimes <laughs> the less, the fewer, the better. So, but still, I believe that those six parties would be very vital in the progress of the future possible negotiations. Well, I hope for our case that we can move forward with those negotiations. Sure. Yeah, Thank to. you so much for speaking with us today. Um, I recommend if you guys like this talk, continue to follow the new podcast series, Enhanced Interrogation, Students Talk Security. Um, thank you again, Jay. This was awesome. Great expertise. Thank you, Mackenzie, for giving me this opportunity. Thank you. If you'd like to follow the Notre Dame International Security Center seminar series, please visit our website at politicalscience.nd.edu forward slash ndisc forward slash. 
or follow us on Twitter at hashtag ND underscore ISC. Please note that opinions expressed in the seminar series are solely those of the participants or speakers, not of the International Security Center or the University of Notre Dame, which take no institutional position. Music for this podcast is licensed under Sample Swap.